You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Rum Buncher Radio, episode number 19. Marty Leap, Nick Caparoso, Trey Entity with you again. 2020 de- trade deadline was 4 p.m. this afternoon. The Pirates, coming into this thing looking like they were going to be the biggest seller, making moves today. Now that it's all said and done, not a single move was made in this year's trade deadline. A lot of speculation, and, and you know, I, I think people were very ambitious. Um, and, and with a first-year general manager, you really never know how it's going to go this time around. But the Pirates end up not trading anybody. A lot of guys we've talked about in episodes past, some some deals we mocked up. None of it happens. What's your guys' thoughts uh, on this 2020 trade deadline and kind of how it went for the Pirates? To be honest with you, I'm very surprised there were no deals made on Monday by the Pirates. Like with Derek Holland, really the only thing that disappointed me was not trading Derek Holland because Holland's going to be a free agent. I mean, obviously Keona Keller is as well, but Keller's on the injured list. You have no idea what kind of trade value, if any, he has right now. Um, but outside of, of Holland, you know, we heard rumors about Trevor Williams, about Adam Frazier, Richard Rodriguez, Chad Cole, potentially Josh Bell. I know we've said on – this podcast I'd written about it. I believed Adam Frazier was going to be traded. Obviously I was wrong. I thought between Trevor Williams and Richard Rodriguez, they're going to move at least one of them again was wrong, but I, and this is something we'll get into tonight. I understand people being disappointed, but my biggest thing is, you know, you look at Frazier, you look at Williams, you look at Joe Musgrove, which was another name that came up a few times in the last few days. They're guys who are controlled beyond this season. Whenever you have players who are not pending free agents, you don't need to make a trade just to make a trade. You know, if you're not getting the return that you believe those players are worth, then you hold on to them because you can move them in the offseason. Or if you're not going to get the return you believe they're worth, you're better off having them play for your team and help your ball club try and win games. So I, I didn't have a problem with Charrington not moving any of those guys. I am surprised you couldn't find a market for them. But my, my only real issue with Monday was not trading Derek Holland. And I will say that if Holland is still going to be around, and this is a topic for another day, but if Holland's still going to be around, he doesn't need to be starting games for this team. Those starts need to be going to somebody who could potentially be here in 2021 and beyond. So my thoughts on it, 
um, are very similar years, Marty. You know, Holland was the big one for me at the time of the deadline. You know, when it was announced we didn't make any moves, I was pretty frustrated about it. Just because, you know, I think I sent you a text, uh, you know, the fact that the Orioles were able to trade a guy like Tommy Malone and get something back for him. I, I just, you know, he's been basically a quad A player. Um, definitely not as successful as Derek Holland has been in his career. So I was, I was just a little surprised by that. But, you know, I do wonder how much, um, you know, it, it was, you know, was the return going to make a difference for the Pirates? Probably not. And I wonder how much of the Pirates' injury issues right now with their pitching staff might have led them to say, you know what, like the the names we're going to get back aren't, you know, we, we really have no interest in them. So rather than, you know, take another pitcher away from our major league staff, you know, let's keep Paul in here to allow him to keep mentoring, mentoring some of the younger pitchers and eat up some innings for us while we, you know, continue to just work through this season. So, you know, that that's kind of something I've been thinking about, you know, ho- hopefully that's the reason because I, I really don't believe that there wasn't teams out there trying to get Holland. And I think that's a similar thing, you know, Williams, um, Frazier, especially, I'm sure that the Pirates got trade offers for those guys. Uh, um, you know, we heard Toronto was interested in Williams. Frazier, his name came up in the offseason. John Heyman talked about him this morning that his name once again was gaining traction. The way the Pirates have maneuvered with Frazier the last couple of days, it has seemed like a move maybe it was going to come. It's very surprising not to see that, but. You know, Marty, you, you hit the nail on the head with uh, they didn't have to trade those guys yet. You know, so they might have had a lot of conversations about these guys. And if, like you said, if the market wasn't giving what Charrington believed those values, those players' value was, then he wasn't going to make the deal. And really him waiting until this winter isn't going to change too much of their value because – Really, I mean, they're still getting a full season from them. So the the Frazier thing, though, if I can circle back to that, like you said, I was surprised he wasn't dealt. Um, you know, I'm sitting here wondering, you know, after the off season where it sounded like there was a couple offers on the table for him, you know, I'm wondering if that might be something Ben Charrington's looking back and regretting a little bit based off of, you know, maybe trying to hold out and get something better during the season for Frazier and that looking like it might not have worked out because of a slow start. Yeah, to, to touch on a couple points there too, Nick, with you said about Frazier, Williams, guys like that. I mean, honestly, if you wait to the offseason, you can almost make the argument that it might have more value because you're going to have every team in on them. You know what I mean? No, yeah, Marty, I, you're right. In the offseason, especially when you're moving – um, players who have multiple years of control, the market's going to be a lot bigger for them. So like I said, it's not going to exactly hurt their trade value. If anything, you know, if they have a strong stretch down the end of the season, it, it can just help maybe their trade value that obviously wasn't there right now. Yeah, for sure. And the only other thing with Holland, I understand where you're coming from, where with the state of this pitching staff and wanting to help with these young guys, but I don't know. I think what I circle back to is if you look at this current pitching staff, I understand wanting your young pitchers to learn from a vet, from a veteran like Holland, 
But of the guys who are currently on this staff, realistically, how many of them are even going to be here the next time you're looking to compete? You know, maybe Chad Cole, Mitch Keller, who's not pitching right now anyway. I don't know. I just – they got international no, spending. I'm frustrated about school. it yeah. too. If you can get something for Gerard Dyson, you could have gotten something for Derek Holland. And I just really wish – and again, with him being a pending free agent – I, I I just wish whatever they would have could have gotten from him, they should have taken it because him being on this team is not, in my opinion at least, it's it's not going to benefit them at all. I would argue it will hurt them if Derek Holland is going out there and taking starts away from guys who could potentially help this rotation. Excuse me, excuse me, taking starts away from guys who could potentially help this rotation in the future. I mean, even if it's just someone like a Nick Trappiano who has looked really good since the Pirates have acquired him, you know, I would rather see someone like that start than Holland moving forward. So, I don't know. That, that, that like, again, that's what frustrated me most was not moving Holland. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward here. But, yeah, it's it's it was definitely a bit of a frustrating day, but at the same time, like you've said, Nick, it, it's you understand why they didn't move the guys who have years of control. I don't want them just making moves to make moves. That has that burned the last regime, and yeah. it's just not. I mean, you rather not do anything at the deadline than lose a deadline. So exactly, and like you said, like making a trade to make a trade is something I feel like Neil Huntington did too often. I mean, I remember there was the one year I don't remember the year off the top. It was whatever year they traded Tony Watson for O'Neill Cruz. Like they were clear sellers, and for whatever reason, they went out and moved a prospect for like Joaquin Benoit. Like, why? Like, that, that's making a trade to make a trade. And that's the kind of thing that I'm glad Ben Charrington did not do today. There's just no reason to delay, you know, put off the, the bad news, I guess you could say. The, the old regime was so focused on, you know, just making moves at times it seemed like to maybe appease the fan base when it wasn't necessary or, or make it seem as if this team was competing in times where they weren't. And that, that has really set this franchise back a, a good ways now to the point of where we're at right now. But like you guys said, I think with Holland, it just seemed logical. I mean, this dude was the most marketable out of all the guys, in my opinion, just because of the, the playoff experience, the World Series experience, and you don't have control after this year. So it, it, it really, I don't know, it, it was a weird deadline, in my opinion, but I think this is going to set us up for a big winter meetings, a big offseason, and I think that's what you just kind of have to look to um, with this group. Ben Charrington knows this team is getting completely torn down. He's not oblivious to that by any means but the moves today just weren't there and it wasn't going to be logical to trade um you know really any guy on this team if prospects weren't going to come back because it was in a year like this it could be easy to get fleeced or just not make the moves you want and settle it was good to see uh, exciting to see i guess you could say that they didn't settle today what was your biggest surprise is that is one thing, yeah. if I could say, too. Um, you know, a lot of these trades that we saw, you know, you see, oh, two players to be named coming back, and it looks good on paper. We, You know, we don't know a lot of the players that are in these trades. Uh, we can't always just assume that these are top prospects moving. I think everybody wants to dream that these are big names going back and forth, but I have a feeling a lot of these names you're going to see aren't necessarily um, – you know, close to major league ready or top prospect guys. Cause if they, if they really were that significant, they'd probably be on those team 60 man rosters already. Exactly. And, and you know, Pittsburgh doesn't have the pieces either right now to go get 
prospects that would really move the needle, that would really get people excited. There's no reason to to go out and, and you know get players to be named or you know there's there's certain like with the Gerard Dyson deal, I thought it was handled beautifully. You know, you need the cap space, everything else, but um, it, it just it was just there. There was a lot of moves, but there wasn't a lot of significant moves. You didn't see any really top prospect names outside of the Clevenger trade. Um, you know, Taylor Trammell. And, and even in the Clevenger trade, like San Diego didn't exactly sell the farm. Yeah, honestly, it. they they did pretty well. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Trammell went in the Nola trade, the Clevenger trade. Right, they only gave up. Um, I think one top ten consensus top ten prospect in their system, and another one like a borderline. So right, they didn't exactly get fleeced, and that's my point. Was you didn't see any of the the big name prospects being moved today. And Charrington, he that's what he's trying to get here. And he's not going to always get that. But, you know, that's what we're saying. He's not going to just trade guys to trade guys per se. He's, he's trying to get the most value he can. And if that value that he believes, you know, Trevor Williams has wasn't being met, then he's he doesn't have to move him yet. There's teams, you know, you look at the Padres. They're in a position this year where they really – you know, could make that step up with with certain pieces and stuff. But for Pittsburgh, it just wasn't right, this trade deadline, to move anybody quite yet. Some interesting deals, though, happened around the league, like you guys mentioned. Mike Clevenger uh, was probably the headliner today. We saw Nola move to San Diego as well. What was your guys' uh, favorite trade of the day, I guess, or which one got you the most excited? I think seeing Starling Marte uh, get traded to the Marlins was great on – many levels uh i'm gonna go with just from the baseball perspective first it was good to see the marlins uh buying you know it was good to see them finally be in a spot and especially after kind of the the start they had um with all the issues but and they made a lot of moves and you gotta give those guys credit for stepping up and taking advantage of the opportunities that they've been given and it's good to see a team like the marlins who don't usually win you know, actually take advantage of the fact that, you know, they're, they're in it. And that's something that a lot of people want to see, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates do. So that was good to see. But in general, it was also, you know, interesting just to see, you know, a player who many were upset the Pirates traded because of course that meant they weren't trying to win and, everyone applauded Arizona for making the big splash and making the move and they were going for it. And here they are 30 some games later trading him away. So not everything works out. Um, one, one player in baseball doesn't move the needle necessarily all the time. So it, it was good to see that we got two premium prospects back and more or less Arizona got three kind of major league wild cards, um, you know, they got a, a starter who has a career ERA above four over four seasons and a, a reliever who has some command issues, but, you know, might be okay. And then a prospect it, they didn't exactly uh, get back, I would say, the same value that they gave up. Yeah, I tell you, man, does that Stanley Marte trade ever look good for Ben Charrington right now? I mean, he, he – Got the Diamondbacks. Now, obviously, this is with a grain of salt type of thing because when the deal was made, the Diamondbacks had no idea that, you know, that they were going to lose 100 games a season due to a global pandemic. But right, they, right. he got the Diamondbacks to trade 30 games of Starling Marte. And in return, 
the Pirates net two of their top ten prospects, including a guy who's a top one hundred prospect. Like that that's a pretty and good another return. one who's a first round pick. Yeah, yeah, and the guy who is the non top one hundred is a first round pick who, you know, you're looking at as Very one of well your could be. rotation anchors down the road, you know. Like next time you're contending, Brendan Malone and Leavier Paguero are probably gonna be two of the big reasons why. But to to go around the league, I I'm all aboard the San Diego Padres bandwagon right now. I mean, that team is so much fun. You go out and add Clevenger. You go out and add Nola to that lineup. And this kind of goes hand-in-hand with that. It was nice to not see the Dodgers be the team making the big trade like it is every summer or every offseason, whether it's Mookie Betts or Manny Machado or Yu Darvish or whoever it might be. It was just nice to see someone other than the Dodgers do it and to see a team who, you know, is in direct competition with the Dodgers in that division. I'm, I'm, I'm all aboard the Padre bandwagon right now. I thought that was interesting, too. We saw a lot of the big market teams kind of sit on the sidelines today, like the Dodgers and the Yankees. Um, you know, those two especially, you know, having some – Injury question marks, especially the Yankees having a lot of injuries. You, I, I guess I would have just expected them to be a little more aggressive, especially being they're the teams that kind of have the more uh, financial flexibility and not have to worry as much about the lack of revenue this year. I do wonder, too, how much of that stems back to the extended postseason this year, knowing, like, you know what, we're kind of scuffling wrong, long right now if you're the end, not so much the Dodgers, because, I mean, the Dodgers, I think, have the best record in baseball still. But right, the Yankees, right. who have lost 8 of 10 or whatever it is, you know, we're scuffling along, but ultimately eight teams are going to get into the American League. We're going to have one of the eight best records in the league. We're going to be okay. And I do wonder how much of that played in to a team like that, not being as aggressive as you would assume they would be. Yeah. And also, I think, with, with the Yankees and the Dodgers, and even Atlanta, you know, that's a – Bigger right, right. I think there's another one. Those are the teams that matched up with the Pirates in trade talks. You know what I mean? Like, they were the teams who could have used a middle of the back end of the rotation arm like Williams or Musgrove. They're the teams that could have used a versatile bench bat like Adam Frazier. So those teams setting things out, I think, really impacted the Pirates as well. Yeah, it, you know, that, that's a team, too, the Yankees, with guys that it seemed like they were really – kind of ready to trade to an extent. Miguel Andujar, Clint Frazier, we heard these guys brought up a decent bit. Just surprising that they didn't move anybody, uh, you know, or, or set up a deal with the Pirates when there was kind of an obvious trade there. And that was another one that, you know, it sounded like they were in on Marte. In fact, they were, I think, the the kind of the landing uh, place people expected. And then the Marlins kind of jumped in there last minute. Uh, if Marte was going to be traded, uh, it sounded like the Yankees were the only team that was really connected. And I just thought that was kind of funny um, because, you know, just as Pirate fans, we always joke about uh, our players ending up playing in New York. And we saw McCutcheon a few years ago end up there. And it, same thing, he got traded out west. Uh, the Giants, they, you know, they won the offseason because they made the big trade to get the outfielder. It didn't work out for them. They traded him away. And, you know, it looked like uh, something very similar is going to happen to Marte, and he was going to end up in New York. <laughs> yeah, and vice versa. I guess he kind of did, right? Jeter got him. I guess he kind of did. Exactly. I mean, it really has been, you know. Cervelli. Cervelli, <laughs> Russell Martin, A.J. Burnett. I mean, it's, you know, we like to dance with the Yankees. 
Look at that outfield in Miami now, too. You got Dickerson, Marte. You got Cervelli down there, too. I think I'm missing someone. Matt, they're, they're starting outfield left to right now is Corey Dickerson, Starling Marte, Matt Joyce. Yeah, Matt Joyce. That's right, Matt Joyce. That's an interesting team, too. I really – I think the moves today – you know, you got a team that's still hanging around. Um, the, the Marte trade I thought was, was exciting to see for them. And, and like you had mentioned a minute ago, that team was such a train wreck just a month ago i mean they were in in worse shape than anybody just with uh the, the outbreak and everything else cool to see them rebound and, and make some moves there and i think that continues to show you the gap in talent right now yeah oh yeah it's it's really it's insane to watch um and it's it's really this deadline i think was so weird for everybody just because it was so different you know you're in a 60 game season um you know with an august 31st deadline uh, which is you know only a month later but Still changes things up a bit. Some exciting moves today. A little bit of a snooze fest uh, for Pirates fans. But some exciting news did break a little bit uh, later in the day, close to the deadline. Brian Hayes finally getting the call up. We talked about it these last two episodes a whole lot. It was just logical at this point. There was no reason for Brian Hayes to still be in Altoona. He is brought to the roster Something to get excited about, gentlemen. Marty, I know you especially have been waiting for this day for Cabrian Hayes to be called up. I can't wait. I mean, as we've touched on here a bunch, Cabrian Hayes should have already been on this roster. Um, I'm just excited to watch him go out there and play third base every day. You know, it's he's one of those guys who is a big part of your future. He's a future building block. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, now all of a sudden you get Cabrian Hayes up here you know, you've got Colin Moran back off the injured list, who looks like he's really turned a corner as a hitter this year. You've got Kevin Newman, who's coming back around. You know, you get Brian Reynolds back off the injured list, or excuse me, the paternity list. And you're looking at, you know, your, your little core there moving forward that could be the guys that's driving this offense, you know, two years or so down the road when you're looking to contend again. So I think the biggest thing that excites me with Hayes is – and people who have lived through these rebuilds, I think people who were there in 2010 or really starting 2009 when McCutcheon came up and then 2010 when we saw Neil Walker and Alvarez and Tabata and then in 2011 when that core got added to in 2012 when Marte came up, when you're rebuilding and you know you're still a couple years away from winning, but you see these prospects start to make their debuts, your Cabrian Hayes's, you know, Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds last year, foreseeably guys like O'Neill Cruz and Travis Swaggerty next year, you get excited because you, you hear all about these guys, you know, their potential. And whenever they start reaching the majors, you also know you're closing in on that next window of contention. So for all those reasons, I am very excited to see what Cabrian Hayes can do. And I just hope that they let him go out there and just play. If he struggles, let him try and work his way through it. Let him play pretty much every day in September. and Let's see what he can do. What I'm most interested to see is, yeah, if if he truly gets the everyday job at third base or if we're going to see Derek Shelton continue to tinker the lineup every night. Um, you know, I've given him a little bit of pass right now with the injuries and just trying to figure out, you know, what guys are going to fit where. But I think you started to see the transition into the, the future infield with Kevin Newman uh, getting more time at second base now finally. And Frazier looking like he's being shifted, you know, right now in the outfield, but likely back to the utility role with Eric Gonzalez seemingly taking the shortstop job. So 
you know, it's time, like you said, to give Hayes that that everyday opportunity at third base. Colin Moran uh, looks like he's coming back. So I, what I'd really like to see is a more consistent lineup. I'd like to see Moran getting more time at first base and Josh Bell just continuing to focus on swinging the bat. Um, next year, if there's not a DH and ENL, you know, we'll figure it out then. But right now, like I have always said, Josh Bell's value will always lay in his bat. I don't care if he can play first base or not. He has not been able to up to this point. 30 more games is not going to make him a better defender. Let him DH, let him get his swing, let him get his timing down and uh, get Cabron Hayes every day at third base. So he can be ready for next year and get calmer and, and see if, you know, he can be a competent first baseman for your team going forward. Yeah. As we get into September here with the lineup, what I want to see more than anything at this point is on near daily. I want to see our opening day lineup next year. Yeah. I want Hayes a third. Give me Gonzalez a short Newman at second Marina first, get Cole Tucker in center field. So we can continue to let that bat develop. And Bell is your DH. And obviously, Brian Reynolds in left field when he's back. In right field, figure out what you can do. I mean, between Polanco and Frazier, just, you do whatever out there. But like you said, Nick, your opening day lineup of next year is what you kind of want to look for here moving forward. And that's where, you know, like I said, Reynolds and Tucker in the outfield, that infield of Hayes, Gonzalez, Newman, Moran. And really, I mean – Hayes and Gonzalez, you're, you, you'll be hard-pressed to find a better defensive left side of an infield in the National League than that. So it'll be – I think that'll benefit our pitching staff a lot. And I just think there's a lot of good to come out of that with just finally getting Key Brian Hayes on this roster where he should have been two or three weeks ago. The other interesting thing, you know, will be to see, obviously, the roster move for Cabron Hayes, but also um, – you know, Jose Asuna and how much longer he'll stick around. You know, I just keep, we talked last show about this. Uh, There's no reason that if Jose Asuna should be on this team, if Will Craig is down at Altoona, we've talked before about how they're very similar players. I'm not in love with Will Craig per se as, you know, I don't, think he's going to ever live up to that first round pick that Neil Huntington used on him. But if, if nothing else, Will Craig is just as good offensively, if not better as Jose Azuna can be. And defensively, Will Craig, you know, won the gold glove in the minor leagues last year at first base. So, you know, to go along with her theme there, Marty, if nothing more, Will Craig could be a nice uh, defensive first baseman to have and pinch hitter off the bench and late in games going forward. And then you're talking about a really, really good infield uh, defense. There's just no reason to not go complete developmental mode moving forward because the deadline's over now. That's my point. You know, it, it's Let's just see what Craig can do. Exactly. Who cares? You're not trying to make guys. We, we know what Osuna can do at this point, and it's not much. Right. And, and you know, you're not trying to make guys – more sellable now that that's behind us this team can finally move forward with the future every single day hopefully um really some interesting lineups though still coming out and i think it's still 
new regime, trying to figure out exactly what they have in all of these guys. Uh, but at the end of the day, there really is no reason for Jose Osuna to be to be getting starts or to get any, be getting any kind of playing time over a Will Craig or a JT Riddle over a Cabrian Hayes because the future is maybe two or three years away, but it starts right here. And like you said, Martin, I think this is the most exciting part of it all when you finally start to see some of these young guys get called up and you start to realize. Trey, I like how you said that the future, it starts here. You're right. Because it does. you know, we we keep on talking about 2023 and a, a big part of that 2023 team is going to be all those young pitching prospects coming up, but it's also going to be guys like Tucker and Reynolds and Hayes, you know, being those core veterans, like this, that 2013 team had. And they need this. They need this season to, to you know, explore even themselves as a player at this level. You know, you need to figure out exactly how you can contribute. And I think for a lot of these guys, even like Cole Tucker, just getting at bats in some form or fashion, getting starts, getting playing time is so key. Hopefully for Cabrian Hayes, it's regular. Um, but, it, you know, time will tell. And this week is going to be uh, exciting to see. Tuesday is the official uh, call-up date for Cabrian Hayes, September the 1st. Excited to see it. The Pirates going to Milwaukee this weekend. Having some success, getting walked off, 5-1 victory in game number two. As we speak, they're uh, currently in the bottom of the eighth inning, tied up at five with the Brewers. We're going to hopefully get to, uh, to talk about this this game number three, game number four, excuse me, here, um, if it ends before our show. But some positives to take away. Nick Tropiano, man, this guy continues to just dominate. I've loved what we've seen so far out of him. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm really growing Nick Tropiano since they've acquired him. Um, like I said earlier, moving forward, I don't want to see Derek Holland starting. I would like to see Nick Tropiano get some starts. I mean, obviously, once Joe Musgrove, Mitch Keller, they return, they're going to be back in the starting rotation. But even before that, you know, I'd like to see Tropiano start. He has started in the past. I mean, his career numbers as a starting pitcher with the Angels, they're nothing special, but right, it's not like he was out there getting... Yeah, he wasn't like out there getting his brains beat in every night or anything with Houston. There was one year with Houston, then his years in Anaheim. Excuse me, in Anaheim. I mean, the guy has a career 438 ERA. It's not like... Serviceable. That's, I mean, that's not awful. You know, you're going to have guys who are a lot worse than that. That, that. That's a very serviceable back end of the rotation kind of arm. You know, so... And I think we've touched on this on the last episode... Where we said, you know, he could be that like Jenmar Gomez kind of role. So let, let's see what he can do. I'd like to see him get a start potentially. And yeah, he's really been one of the bright spots on this team in the last couple of weeks. Already, I'm on board with that. Um, Tropiano, you know, I think one thing that we have to consider, and I think I mentioned this before, is, you know, the move from the American League West to the. Uh, National League Central, the American League West has been a very strong division the last few years. When you talk about, obviously, the Astros and the Athletics, um, you know, two of the playoff teams for the, you know, perennial playoff teams over the last couple of years. So maybe getting him into the National League uh, will be good for him. It looks like it has been already. Also, though, you know, we've touched on how his stuff looks a little different than, you know, what it looked like compared to in the past and he's finding success. So maybe so far in his time here, you know, Oscar Moraine's been able to work with him and find something. And like you said, I'd be interested to see him as a starter at this point, because, you know, for me in my head, I'm thinking right now, 
worst case is you you see that you found something with him in a bullpen that's working. So if if he can if he can see if he can translate that into a starter, and if not, then you know move him back into the pen and you know have him hopefully get back to what he was doing as a reliever. You just it would be exciting just to see a start to see you know what he's got. He hasn't a lot of run yet. Yeah, and I I mean that splitter he has right now is just it, it it's a it's a pitch that you don't see a lot in baseball right now and you know the pirates are one of those teams that they they have to kind of find you know guys like this who are different and find a way to have some success you know not the traditional way and Tropiano kind of is one of those quirky guys that might be able to catch on here in Pittsburgh with the just giving him the opportunity that he hasn't been able to get either. Kyle Crick making his return in this series as well. There's just some pitchers, guys, when I see them take the mound, it was Michael Feliz for a while. I just, you know, you kind of cringe up a little bit, you get a little nervous. I thought this break would be enough for Kyle Crick. I still, um, you know, get, get PTSD from that first series. He came in for an inning, got a strikeout, didn't allow a run. Looked very solid. What are you guys' thoughts on, on the Kyle Crick return? Uh, yeah, he looked good. The slider looked like it had a nice uh, bite on it. One thing that I noticed, though, is his velocity was still down. And, you know, that that was the big red flag at the beginning of the year where we kind of knew that he just wasn't right. Now, you know, was it a matter of his first time out, him trying to take it easy and just, you know, throw strikes and get through the inning? Or... You know, is it still his arm strength is building up just because he hasn't pitched a lot? Or, you know, is he still maybe just not right? And, you know, maybe Kyle Crick as a reliever, um, you know, isn't going to be the pitcher we once, you know, saw a few years ago. Yeah, it, it was strange because, like you said, Nick, um, the, the slider looked good, but his fastball velocity was – 90 91 and when crick's at his best it's 96 97 98 and that's where even the slider i know the one slider i saw that that i thought looked pretty nice it it was 76 miles per hour and i'm thinking you know looked nice because it was you know the frisbee gun in there more Uh, and 76 is is down for his slider also yeah that's not very firm for for crick slider standards um, last year, I'm looking at it now, his slider averaged 81.5 miles per hour. Fastball is 95.3. This year, it's 77.1 on the slider, 91.1 on the fastball. So, yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of concern there with Crick. I don't know if he's still hurt. Honestly, you kind of almost have to hope he's still maybe not 100% because if he is 100% and his velocity is down, you know, five miles an hour almost on his fastball – down four or five miles an hour in a slider you got to worry is it a dead arm what is it so you know next time out we'll see what he does might be tonight because we're you know this game's tied in the bottom of the eighth here with two outs and i can imagine richard rodriguez is not available so i'm sure they go to chris stratton first but if they get on their side of stratton they're still playing we might see crook tonight and might get an indication of what's going on there but yeah, the, the, the velocity still being down on Crick is definitely a red flag. When we talk long-term with this bullpen as a whole, how long do we see guys like Kyle Crick, Richard Rodriguez stick around? Obviously, you know, there was a time today where we thought Richard Rodriguez might not even be on the team anymore. 
what, what's the what's the long I guess projection for this bullpen when we see guys like Jeff Hartley and some guys start to really emerge yeah I think you'll start to see um you know I think you're already starting to see that the younger guys get more later innings but I also expect tomorrow or you know maybe not tomorrow but you know pretty pretty shortly over the next couple of days, I'd, I'd expect to see uh Cedar line uh, pulled up, um, you know, and whether that means they end up uh, sending someone down or um, cutting, like you're saying, you know, they, 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 they can just, they can just fire. Don't just never ask. That's what I'm saying. So they, really they, could, they could potentially, you know, finally move on from, from him also. But I, yeah, I do expect that you're going to start to see, these younger arms using higher levers uh, situations. And I think you're going to see Cedarland and probably I wouldn't be shocked if you eventually see Nick Mears uh, work his way back up here by the end of the season. Yeah. As, as, as critical as I've been of Derek Shelton at times this year, one thing he's done in recent weeks I've really liked and we're watching it in this game right now. He's giving a lot of high leverage situations to these guys who are controlled through 2023 through 2024 could be big parts of the bullpen. I mean, Jeff Hartley has become an excellent fireman for the Pirates. You know, Nick Turley has been pitching a lot of beginnings. He just pulled Turley right now to go to Chris Stratton with two on and two out of the eighth. Stratton has been terrific this year. You know, Sam Howard has been awesome. Like, I think moving forward, I would really like to see those four plus Cedarling kind of be your core guys this last month of the season. Give them the high leverage innings. You know, let Kyle Crick kind of work his way back in middle relief. Richard Rodriguez has done a really good job this year with the strikeout, but the home run balls continue to plague him, and he's a guy who I don't think is here for the long term. But I do think in this current bullpen that th- there are some arms down there that could be long-term solutions in this – excuse me, could be long-term solutions in the bullpen. Stratton, Hartlieb, Turley, maybe Sam Howard, Blake Seedlin when he gets here – Nick, like you said, Nick Mears, um, a guy we're not going to see this year, but down the road, Blake Wyman. There's some good bullpen potential there. We've tooted his horn all year, but, I mean, all the credit goes to Oscar Marine. It's been so fun to watch how he's just helped pitchers kind of figure it out this year. Guys like Jeff Hartley yeah. and Turley and some of these guys, it's been it's been very exciting to see. And it'll be really exciting to see moving forward as, as some of these younger guys get called up and get to work with him. Eric Gonzalez hitting a home run birthday tonight. Uh, some exciting things coming. Josh Bell really hitting the cover off the ball in the 5-1 victory on Sunday. Um, you know, I think some positives to take away from this series. I guess one thing you guys uh, like the most about Pittsburgh this weekend. I think what I liked a lot is to, to go back to Josh Bell, the, the actual results haven't totally been there. But he's drawing walks. He's hitting the ball hard. He's got a walk. So in this game tonight, he walked in his last at bat. He looks like he's finally picking the ball up. His timing might be coming around. You know, Egon is bouncing back after struggling a little bit. Jake Stallings just continues to hit. So there, there have definitely been some some positives this weekend. And, you know, I think the bullpen too, Hartlieb, did a good job yesterday cleaning up a mess and pitching a scoreless eighth inning. Chris Stratton's coming on right now with two on and two outs. He's got an opportunity to do the same. So I think we've seen some good stuff out of the bullpen as well, even even with some of the struggles that the bullpen had with Rich Rod on Saturday night blowing the save. 
all in all, we have seen some good work out of the pen. Yeah, I agree, Marty. Bell is really, um, you know, it's hard to say. Josh Bell at the beginning of last year looked like a completely different player. And I think this year, right now, we're starting to see a little more of who Josh Bell is. Um, I think sometimes we get used to seeing guys like Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna who just come up and they have so much success right away. And we expect every young guy to do that. And unfortunately for the Pirates, it seems like it never works that way. But I think you're slowly seeing Bell make strides at the plate. I think, you know, where he was at the beginning of the year, it was a very dark place offensively. I think he was in his own head. You know, everything was overdone. And we've seen that before in the past with him. You know, it's not for a lack of him caring. He's, he wants to succeed. He's up there working hard. He's trying to figure something out. But, you know, I think that it's a little bit of a burden on him. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is he's just is finally starting to look a little more natural and comfortable at the plate. And that, that's a good first step for him. And if he can finish the year strong here, uh, I'm excited to just, you know, see the progress he can continue to make. I think burden is a great word because when you see guys like that, the best player on a really bad team, you know, you got to feel burden because that's what fans are, are, I guess, this year tuning in to to see see guys like Josh Bell just rip the cover off of it. Confidence is beginning to return though. And we're seeing just better at bats all the way around from a lot of guys, not just not just Bell. You know, Polanco has has really settled down and and started to find confidence at the plate. We're seeing Brian Reynolds, you know, night and day from where he started this season. Um, to where he is now on the paternity list at this point, but uh, before and when he returns, um, you know, it's just going to be a different team. They're starting to get some confidence. And I think now that this day is behind us, the trade deadline is in the past. Things are a little bit more sure. Um, we're going to start to see this team play just, you know, uh, with a little bit more energy. But, uh, you know, some positives to take away from today, even though no moves were made, um, Cabrian Hayes gets the call up. And you got to think about today as maybe just another step, a half step even, towards the future because bad moves weren't made today, if nothing else. And the Pirates move forward with the team they started the day with. Next time we meet, we're going to be recapping the upcoming series with the Chicago Cubs, talking about what's to come. A lot of baseball still to be played this season. The Pirates only eight and a half games out of first place at 10 and 21. They uh, now are losing to the Brewers here in the eighth inning. But hey, you never know. Pirates magic. As always, you can find us on Apple Music, on Spreaker.com, on RumBunter.com, as well as our social media at RumBunter. Guys, please reach out to us on Twitter. Check out all the content. We have a ton of articles out right now. A lot going on as the, the season gets to the halfway point. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Yanity. Thank you for joining us. Brian Hayes is coming to Pittsburgh. An exciting day. Chicago Cubs coming to town this week. We'll have all the coverage for you. As always, guys, let's go Bucks. Have a great night. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.